0: Hello. Hello, Hola. hola,
1: bonjour, здравствуйте,
0: bienvenidos and
1: welcome to Radio, to Radio Natura, to Radio Natura,
0: voices from around the world, bringing you all things related to nature and sustainability,
1: rethinking what it means to live in peace with nature,
0: and imagining a brighter future,
1: brought to you by the Pax Natura Foundation.
0: Welcome to the very first episode of Radio Natura. We have made it.
2: I am Elizabeth Gamara. I'm Jimena Garate Gonzalez de la Vega. I'm Maria Garate Gonzalez de la Vega.
1: And I'm Jordan Anderson.
2: Thank you for
0: tuning in. We are really excited to be doing this podcast where we will be bringing your interviews and stories from all over the world, from people who have dedicated their lives to nature, sustainability, fighting climate change, fighting for human justice, and just generally making the world a better place. It's given us all a chance to talk about
3: things that don't often make it into the news or your everyday conversation. I think like so many people today, we've all found ourselves spending a lot of time thinking about climate change and nature-related issues, maybe stressing about climate change and nature. Being stuck inside during a global pandemic seemed like a good time to start a podcast about some of the more positive things people are doing for the Earth and highlight those who are working to make the world a better place.
2: Elizabeth was the one who had the idea to start the podcast and contacted us all to from the team. Our group of podcasters is spread all over the world, across North and South America, to Europe and Asia. Most of us have never even met in person, but it's amazing how everyone has still come together into a dedicated team.
1: For our first episode, we're bringing you to an interview we got to do with someone very special, who you've probably heard of, Dr. Jane Goodall. I still can't believe we got to interview her. I got to do most of the talking just because I had the microphone, and full disclosure, I was pretty nervous about it. I hadn't interviewed someone in quite a while, and then after all that time, the first person I interview is Jane Goodall. I mean, come on. But it went really well. Jane is so fun and easy to talk to, and we had a great conversation with her. The
0: interview was kindly set up by one of our PAX and founders, Randall Toppenrude, who joined the four of us for this call. The interview was done through Zoom at the height of COVID-19. So we apologize if you hear some noise in the background, but we do hope you enjoy it.
1: Well, it's really wonderful to meet you. Thank you so much for taking the time to come speak with us. We'd like to ask you about your foundation, Roots and Shoots, which is now in over 100 countries. How did you come up with that idea, and how has it been so successful in so many countries?
4: Okay, well first of all, you know, it has been in 100 countries. It's active now, really active in about 66 countries, but it's growing all the time. You know, some small countries, they start a Roots and Shoots group, and then the leader kind of moves away or something and it disappears, but still you planted the seeds, they haven't gone away. But 60, 65, six countries now. Started in 91, began because I was meeting young people all over the world, about your age, who seemed to have not much hope. And uh, they were either depressed, angry, or mostly apathetic. So I asked them, why did they feel this way? You more or less said the same thing, because you've compromised our future, and there's nothing we can do about it. Well, we have compromised your future. There's no question about that. We here, you know, we haven't borrowed this this um, planet from our ancestors. I uh, know. What do they say? We haven't. We haven't. just saying. Anyway, point is, we have compromised your future. And. Um, but I didn't believe them when they said there's nothing that can be done about it because we've still got a window of time. This is back in 91, by the way, when the window of time was much bigger. Anyhow, So we began with 12 high school students who were concerned about all kinds of things, um, about the killing of animals in the national parks, why wasn't the government doing more, the illegal dynamite fishing was destroying the coral reefs, the cruel treatment of dogs and cats on the streets, the street children with nowhere to go, all sorts of things. So I told them to go and get their friends who also were concerned, and we had a big meeting. Roots & Shoots was born at that meeting in February 91 when we decided as a group discussing it that the most important message would be every single day, every single one of us makes an impact and we can choose what sort of impact we make. And of course people in different um, income levels make can make a much bigger Bad impact than some other people. I'm not thinking very straight. Um, <clears throat> I've been doing videos all day and I'm a horse, but uh, the, main, the, main, the main message was that each group will choose three projects. As a group they will choose them and they will be a project help people, project help the environment, and project help animals because it's all interrelated. And from that small beginning in Tanzania, we're now hundreds of thousands of young people and making a huge difference because Roots & Shoots is about action. You discuss your problem with your friends. What can we do about it? Yeah, this will work, this will work, that won't work. will work, roll up your sleeves and get out there and take action, whether it's clearing up plastic, planting trees, uh, raising money for earthquake victims, volunteering in shelters. all I mean you young people are so inventive and imaginative that the projects have been so varied and it's making such a difference. And we've got all the alumni Who joined in 91, 2, 3, and 4, now adult, and many of them are in decision-making places. So the global aspect of it, the last thing, is that we've brought young people together from different countries, occasionally face-to-face, but that's expensive and sometimes difficult. Virtually, yes, and As a result of that, what grew out of Roots and Shoots is an understanding that far more important than the color of your skin, your nationality, your language, your culture, your religion, is the fact that we're all human beings and we need to act together to get out of the mess that we've created. I
1: think that's a beautiful way to take action. So... Can you tell us a little bit about the Takari system and how you get Roots and Shoots to work across so many religions and cultures and political divides?
4: Well, Takari um, isn't Roots and Shoots per se, although uh, Roots and Shoots is, is woven into it. Takari happened because in na- 1986 I realised that right across Africa, chimpanzee numbers were dropping, forests were disappearing, so their habitat was going and it was a bit of a shock. I went to six different African countries, learned a lot about the problems faced by the chimpanzees, you know, the habitat destruction, the encroachment of humans and their cattle, the bushmeat trade, the commercial hunting of wild animals for food, the live animal trade, shooting mothers to steal babies to sell, and the fact that as we move into their habitat, they are at risk of all our contagious diseases. Fingers crossed for COVID-19. So far it hasn't happened. Um, and then I discovered also so much of the hardship faced by so many African people in and around the chimpanzee habitats. You know, the, the crippling poverty, the lack of good health and education, the degradation of the land. And when I flew over the tiny Gombe National Park where I've been um, working with the chimpanzees since all my team, since 1960, and it was in 1960, it was part of this equatorial forest belt that stretched from Western East Africa right across to the West African coast. And in 1990, when I flew over in a small plane, it was an absolute shock to look down and see a little island of forest surrounded by completely bare hills, more people there than the land could support, too poor to buy food from elsewhere, overused farmland in, in fertile soil, Um, trees, people in desperation to grow more food, cutting down trees on the really steep slopes and all the soil erosion. And this is when it hit me, if we don't help the people find ways of living that don't destroy the environment, we may as well give up trying to save the chimps. So that Takari was a very holistic program that began with the 12 villages around Gombe and did not involve a group of arrogant white people marching into an African village and telling them what to do. Rather, it involved a hand-picked team of seven local Tanzanians who went into the villages and sat down and asked them, what can we do to make your lives better? So it started simple, and gradually we were able to add more aspects to it, it became very holistic, including scholarships for women and girls to keep them in school um, beyond puberty, uh, microcredit programs, water management programs, and so on. And restoring fertility, the soil without pesticides, and it's now in 104 villages throughout the chimp range in Tanzania. Each village provides volunteers who go to workshops and learn how to use smartphones, and they go into their village forest reserves and monitor the health of their forests. They're very proud of this. They chose what to monitor. You know, it's illegal tree cutting or animal traps or whatever and um, that gets uploaded into a platform in the clouds. And so, as most of Tanzania's chimps are not protected, but in these village forest reserves, this is tremendously important. Now that people understand protecting the forest is for their own future, as well as protecting wildlife, and roots and shoots is in every one of these villages. And the program, along with Roots & Shoots, is in six
1: other African countries. Thank you for that answer. When you were first doing your research in Gombe, there weren't many women in the scientific fields or the public eye. So how does Roots & Shoots try to empower young women to make effective change and make positive change in their communities?
4: Well, you know, when I had a dream at age 10 of going to Africa, living with wild animals, and writing books about them, because I had read Dr. Doolittle and Tarzan. Everybody laughed at me, how would I do that? We didn't have money, World War II was raging, Africa was far away, anyway, I was just a girl. But my mother said, if you really want something like this, you're going to have to work really hard, take advantage of every opportunity, and then if you don't give up, You may find a way. So that's the message that I take around the world. Um, Both sexes. You know, it's a Latin American, one of the tribes, I forget which country. I certainly forget the name of the tribe. But what they say is, our tribe is like an eagle. One wing is male, and the other wing is female. And only when the wings are equal will the tribe fly high,
1: which is something I love. That's such a beautiful analogy. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So we'll, we'll be mindful of your time. We know you're very busy and just we'll have just one or two more questions if that's okay with you. Sure. Many of you like. Excellent. Well, so I think what we're very curious about now is uh, activism and environmentalism and your your work is all about turning young people into passionate environmentalists. So we'd like to ask, what are the steps that you find most effective in turning young people into activists and environmentalists?
4: Well, it's basically education. It's helping young people understand And By the way, it's not just young people. It's terribly important to get older people involved. It's terribly important to get those in positions of power and decision-making involved. But young people, it's your future. So, you know, it's really important that the young ones growing up uh, understand the problems and it's pretty clear that when you understand the problems, um, if you've got a brain in your head, you really want to try and do something about it because it's your future, your children. And I found that one of the best ways, particularly with the older people, you know, uh, is telling stories and telling. So I like to talk, like, say, climate change. I like to talk about what I personally have seen traveling 300 days a year around the world, the ice melting in the great ice cliff in Greenland, where it never used to melt, even in the height of summer, and this was late, well, early spring. Um, people who've had to leave their island homes because of the rise in sea level it's not habitable anymore uh, when there's a storm. Uh, I've seen the, you know, the results of the flooding, the droughts, the hurricanes uh, that are getting worse, or the bad ones are getting more more frequent. And, of course, now the terrible wildfires. The first time in history, as far as we know, there have been fires in the Arctic
1: Circle. Next question. What does sustainable development mean to you and what are the best tools you see for developing sustainably?
4: Well, I think it's a question of uh, how you live your life. And right now, right now, there there are places on this planet where we have plundered the natural resources, which are finite. They're not unlimited. You know, you can come to the end of them. And in some places, they're being plundered more quickly than nature can restore them. So it's pretty grim. And. Um, There's 7.2 billion of us today. 2050, there's said to be 9.7 billion of us. So if we carry on with business as usual, then what's going to happen? I don't know, it's not my problem, but people are afraid to talk about the growth of a human populations and b their livestock. So right now, as more and more people want to eat more and more meat, and people are raised out of poverty, and it's a status symbol very often to eat meat, and so we've got literally billions of farm animals, cows, pigs, sheep, um, chickens, and so on in in the intensive farms, and of course we've got cattle ranching, and so these billions of animals in the factory farms its horribly cruel. We have to realize that each one, every single one of them, has a personality, is capable of feeling fear and pain at least and they all have to be fed. So huge areas of habitat are destroyed to grow the grain to feed them and then lots of fossil fuel to get the grain to the animals, the animals to the abattoir, the meat to the table. It takes a lot of water to change vegetable to animal protein, and water is becoming, an, you know, an increasingly reduced um, well, the, the, the fresh, uh, fresh surface water is becoming increasingly. Uh, whatever, you know, less, and, um, and more polluted, and the great underground aquifers, aquifers are dropping and also getting polluted. And then finally, all of these billions of animals produce methane in their digestion, which is a greenhouse gas which is very virulent, and of course, as we know, most of the greenhouse gases come from the uh, reckless burning of fossil fuel. But um, this methane is also contributing hugely to climate change. Randall, we can't hear you. No, we can't hear you, dear Randall.
5: I think you're muted. Sorry, Randall. I had put it on mute. And now we should be back. And <laughs> uh, on the question of sustainable development, I'd like to mention something about uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Gam- Gamara and Hime and Machi. Uh, Gonzalo de la Vega in Mexico, because all of these remarkable young women, uh, I've never seen more dedicated, more powerful uh, intelligence and consciousness about all the issues Jordan you were just talking about. Uh, I sent Jane uh, some photos, Hime uh, and Machi, of the, the bags that you are making from old used parachutes. And I have received a remarkable backpack that is absolutely beautiful that you made for me, and I thank you very much for that. But it is extraordinary. Uh, They are in every demonstration, every activity in Mexico uh, involving the environment. And Elizabeth Gamara from Peru. Uh, is doing an an amazing program in Tokyo, Japan, and I'm sure you're planning on having them say something, but I just wanted you to respond uh, to your passions about sustainable development and what you are doing in your own areas because it's really an inspiration. So I'll turn that back to you now. Um. Hi.
3: Hi, Um, I'm Jimena, I'm from Mexico City. I am a fashion designer and when I was in my final thesis project, I decided to make it about uh, upcycling to create awareness on the fashion waste issue, which is uh, important and relevant right now. So I upcycle parachutes, sails, uh, wetsuits, uh, and textile waste into accessories and garments. And I'm also part of Fashion Revolution Mexico, uh, in which I lead the, the student ambassador uh, program, because we do think education is part of a um, The solution to to this climate project and we do demonstrate in every Fridays for Future um, uh, that we can and and try to involve everyone in this fight.
2: Uh, I'm Maria I'm also from Mexico City and since I was young I knew that my mission in life was to serve. So uh, I worked in um, Save the Children and Sea Shepherd Me- Mexico here in Mexico, and also uh, I, was, I worked there as a fundraising area, and now uh, I'm working on an organization called The Mano a Mano that, that works uh, building houses to the families that lost it in natural disaster here in Mexico.
6: It's so nice to meet you. Um, I'm Elizabeth. I, I think Randall is so kind. I think we, we could all say that we were inspired by him. And I'm particularly inspired by like all the people you see on the screen, to be honest, under the leadership of Jordan and working with Maria and Michi and Randall and our team. Our, our team is actually very global. We come from different parts of the world. And we really got interested in this idea of how much is enough when you when it comes to environment you have this very inspirational part where you say how um, when you're outside, you find this great spirit and power of connection. And how do you see that in others, and how do we co-create this so that, like, it it expands? Um, It it just doesn't stay with one person. I'm also curious is um, when it comes to places like Russia, for instance, Russian citizens can actually benefit from climate meltdown because it'll open the Northern Sea route. It'll be the fastest lane between Asia and Europe, and it'll add huge economic value. Right? So, like, how do you respond to,
4: to contexts like these that will be, and, like, that we, we cannot avoid? Well, the, the second part of your, uh, your second question, you know, it's very interesting because when I was up in Greenland, and the, you know, the ice is melting, and I was walking across this huge area, and there were little kind of scrubby plants, they were about this tall, I mean, very short, and it turns out they were baby trees that should be about 30 foot high and as the, uh, the the frost, the snows were melting and it was getting warmer these little trees were beginning to grow so it'll make a huge change in the landscape and it's absolutely right for some people there'll be a benefit not to have these icy cold, beastly, horrible winters but The trouble is that it's all interrelated. So you try and cure one problem and you think, "Oh yes, this is it. But that's led to another problem. And so this is, you know, I can't answer these questions. Definitely it's going to make things better for some and worse for others. It's going to cause fires and droughts and flooding. And the locust locust forms getting terrifying over Africa, like it's biblical in its scale. That these millions and millions and millions of locusts destroying all the food, and um, so you try and destroy them with pesticides. That destroys the soil. Um, that leads to the decline of birds, and this leads to the decline of other creatures. And it's all interrelated. So I think the answer is that we need more and more and more to bring the different parts of science and the different interest groups together in a friendly, you know, way. How do we solve these problems rather than fighting each other and saying, well, you can't do that. And yet. The farmers are saying, but if we don't use these pesticides, we don't have food to eat. Whereas other people are saying, yes, but the food you're eating is contaminated with chemical poisons, and you're destroying the land and the ecosystem in the future. And people are saying, yes, but I'd rather eat contaminated food than starve. So these are the problems that you young people are going to be faced with because of what we have done to the planet. And I can't answer them. It's just that we need to to have this system of cooperation getting together and discussion. And as for the spiritual power that I feel, you know, some people have that same sense of spiritual power when they're out on the ocean or in areas of Savannah. Or it, it doesn't really matter. Different people have different loves. I love the forest and for me That's where I have this sense of a great spiritual power uh, that that is, you know, I just feel it so strongly. And I think one of the problems today is that people are getting divorced from the natural world in our cities. And we need nature. It's now being proven that if you take a city and you take a deprived area where there's maybe a high crime rate and you start putting trees and flowers into every vacant lot, the crime rate drops. Your uh, psychotic illness drops. People are happier and you plant the trees and the birds come back and the trees are helping to cool down with shade and mitigate climate change and the roots of the trees are helping to stabilize the soil so there's less danger of flooding and so you know all of these things are just so interrelated and you can find this spiritual power of nature in a city park but you have to have the right frame of mind. And I've learned to try and blot out the sounds of traffic, for example. I've tried to make them sound like the waterfall at Gombe so that I can feel closer to nature. But I guess we all do that in different ways. Some people meditate and so on. So, But you know, one one thing that I feel I can't stop talking to you without saying, is that you know? right now we're still battling the pandemic. In the UK, I think it's about one third of the people are now on lockdown again, or semi-lockdown. America's a mess. I'm um, not sure what it's like in Mexico, but probably not too wonderful, I'm not sure. Um, and the, the sad thing is, the people studying these zoonotic diseases have predicted a pandemic for, for, forever. And the reason for this pandemic in part is our absolute disrespect of nature and animals. So as we destroy an environment, we push some animals into closer contact with people. And this may create an environment where a pathogen can jump from an animal to a person, where it may bond with a cell or whatever it does, I'm not sure, and create a new disease, which uh, then can be caught by other humans from that one person. And the way we've disrespected animals, we've killed them, hunted them, eaten them, we've trafficked them, we've caught them, we've sold their babies. We have the wildlife markets in Asia, throughout Asia, where animals from the region or different parts of the world are sold in horrible conditions and Uh, both the seller and the buyer can be contaminated. So it's thought that COVID-19 began in one of these wildlife markets in China, where a virus, COVID-19, jumped from an animal to a person. The HIV AIDS came from the bushmeat markets of Africa from eating uh, infected chimpanzee meat. And what people are not realizing is that these horrible factory farms, They're absolute breeding places for these zoonotic diseases and um, many diseases are being caused by somebody contaminated in one of these factory farms in the horrible unhygienic conditions of the abattoirs jumping to a person. So you know as we emerge from climate change people are some people have understood that, gosh, you live in a big city. I never looked up and saw bright stars in the sky before. They were always, almost always polluted, um, dimmed by the pollution, polluted air. In um, some places, animals are moving back into places where they were never seen before. So nature can rebound. That's something the pandemic has showed us. And more and more people are thinking, we need to emerge from the pandemic as we will with a a joint mission to have a new relationship with the natural world and with animals. And we find that climate change, the climate crisis, which is a far worse threat to the future of all life on earth than any pandemic, that also has been our disrespect of the natural world. So it should be a wake-up call, we've got to move out and think of a new way of relating to nature and get together to find a new green economy which isn't always money must come first. We must have another shopping mall, okay, that harms the environment, never mind, that doesn't matter, we need another shopping mall, we need another road, we need another dam. And to hell with the fact that we're destroying the natural world and your future.
6: Oh, thank you so much for this response. I think it's it's very well very well said. I love the part where you said we have to divorce our like to, to, we divorce ourselves from nature. One thing I wanted maybe to, to press you a little bit is, in, in some cases, there are people who have, like, who are involved with environment, but at the same time have businesses that depend on the suffrage of the environment. You know, so they live this kind of double. I don't know if it's double standard, but you know, this 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 walk, this balance. Can can you speak to that? And then obviously,
4: go ahead, Jordan. You can over here. Thank you so much. I mean, let's take oil and gas. That's a perfect example. And there's people in the oil and gas industry talking about sustainable development. And the thing is, the thing that differs us most from other animals is the explosive development of our intellect. And instead of being wise, we've lost wisdom. We're not making decisions based on how does this decision Affect future generations, but on how does this decision affect me now, me, my next political campaign, the next shareholders' meeting? So, the oil and gas industry and the people working in it, it's been there for an awful long time. Everybody's depended on it and it's changed people's lives. But now, gradually, the oil and gas company are beginning to understand the harm that they've inflicted on the environment and they're putting more and more money, um, the good ones, into uh, sustainable sustainable energy, green energy, solar and, and things like that. And it's this brain that is coming up in all of these different businesses with ways of doing it better. And you can't suddenly stop everything you know, you can't suddenly say, well, we mustn't have any more oil and gas used, no more fossil fuels. You can't suddenly do that. But what we should be doing, what government should be doing, is subsidizing the, the green energy, the renewable energy. But no, they still have this cosy relationship with oil and gas and they subsidise oil and gas. So these huge, powerful companies get tax breaks, and the little ones struggling to make the world better with renewable energy get taxed. So that it's you know, the government level is wrong there. And big business and government are so often cosily tied together. Thank you
1: so much, Dr. David. That was perfect. I think we'll just end with the last one. And thank you so much for expanding on those and some really powerful answers that you gave. Thank you. And again, just like to thank you so much for giving us this time and coming to speak with us. As a UN messenger of peace now for nearly 20 years and a woman of nearly innumerable accomplishments, is there any central message that you could send to our listeners and podcast listeners around the world for? what they can do for action. How can we, how can we help? Okay, well, first of all,
4: let me quickly say, get involved in Roots & Shoots. (laughs) I'm gonna have to say that, don't I? Because I only say it because it works. I only say it because it's changed lives. And there's no question about that. It's lifted people, girls, particularly out of poverty. They feel empowered. And, you know, we give them a role to play. We listen to their voices. And education, 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 understanding. So that that I I would urge all the listeners to at least look into it to see whether it might work for you. And secondly, it's the message I've already said, I think it's the most important, that every day you live, you make some impact. Think about that impact. Think about what you buy. How was it made? Did it harm the environment? Was it cruel to animals? Um, Is it cheap because of child slave labour or poor wages or living conditions, the people who produced it? And, you know, so we've got to alleviate poverty before people can really make the right choices. And it's like you were talking about Elizabeth, one problem leads to another. So you alleviate poverty And all those who've been recently impoverished, of course they want to emulate the unsustainable lifestyle of the other half of the world. Why shouldn't they? There's nothing wrong with that. And yet it's going to destroy the planet. And those those are the tough things we have to come up against. But you know, we do have to alleviate poverty. We do have to reduce the unsustainable way that the rest of us live. And that's what Roots and Shoots is so good about. And we do have to at least think about the numbers of people and their
1: livestock on the planet. Perfect. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for speaking with us. Everyone else, I'll leave it up to you. Absolutely. Thank you.
3: Thank you you so much.
1: Wow, Jane had some really incredible and powerful things to say to us. She always leaves you with a lot to think about. She's like a machine of inspirational quotes. Speaking of, you may remember in the beginning of the interview, there's a quote that Jane couldn't quite remember. The full saying goes, We don't inherit the world from our parents, we borrow it from our children. Which is one of my favorites. I think it's safe to say the world would be a better place if there were more people like Jane.
3: We want to thank everyone on our team who helped make this episode and Pax Natura for making this podcast possible. And of course, a big thank you to Jane for speaking with us and Randall for setting up the interview.
2: Visit us at paxnatura.org to find out more about the organization and how you can get involved. Pax Natura does work that matters to lay the foundation for a sustainable future. Get in touch with us by emailing us at podcast at paxnatura.org.
0: Thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. And remember, it is all... Interrelated.